That's a great song, but for me it's very depressing because I look and see that I'm older than that song. So now I am older than a song in our songbook. So that's, uh, I'll have to have some time to myself just to process that. So this morning we're looking at clothing. And we don't often think of Christ in our relationship with Him with clothing, but we will today. And I got a lot of time, but I won't use it all. Yeah, I probably will. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in Colossians, we're told to, to put on Christ. And so we're going to read what Paul writes to the, uh, to the church. Uh, and he says here, to put on the new self. And in Colossians 3, uh, 12 through 14, just a few verses, it says, uh, And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And may the Lord bless the reading of His Word as we look at what God would consider the greatest designs that you could ever put on. I had to go ask... Uh, um, one of our soldiers, about a certain term now that is used when people want to wear name brand just from head to toe. And I think, I think he said it was hyper beast. Hyper beasting. You know, and I want to share with you the top 10 clothing brands. Okay? Because what I want you to understand is from God's perspective, what we just read is his top 10 clothing brands. Okay, first of the number one, and many of these you've heard of, Nike, right? Adidas, Gucci, that's beyond my pay grade. Louis Vuitton, Ralph Lauren, Burberry, Prada, that's what the devil wears, uh, H&M, Chanel, not channel, Chanel. You got to be French, you know, when you say this stuff. Levi's, now that's more to my liking. Armani, uh, let's see, Versace, American Eagle, Dol Dolce and Cabana, if I even said that correctly. Gap, Victoria's Secret, I'll just keep moving on. Forever 21, I wish. Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger. You ever heard of any of those? I know you have, right? Well, in our world, those are like the best of the best. It doesn't matter if it's shoes, cologne, perfume. Uh, you know, as long as you've got those on, people see you and go, oh, okay, you, you've got some means about you. Well, let me tell you, in the Scriptures, God looks at, Gucci, uh, or God doesn't look at Gucci. God looks at 
verses 12 through 14, the way the world looks at Gucci and Tommy Hilfiger. And he's looking at us and saying, what, what are you representing? Think about when you open up your closet, right? Or you look at all your shoes. Every one of them probably is made by a different designer. But there's got to be some article of clothing and I think we all have this as people, that we say, that's my favorite thing to wear. Maybe it's pajamas, right? But to you, that's your go-to. That's like, you know, I feel, I feel like my, I'm, I am comfortable in this. Well, God wants you to be just as comfortable by putting on Christ as you would any other garment. Because as His representatives... We are wearing his brand, okay? Does that make sense? We, we know how important brand names are. Unfortunately, we, we learn that at a very young age because if you don't wear a name brand, you're told. Uh, it's kind of, I kind of can't help but laugh when I tell people pretty much my most important clothing I bought from the Salvation Army, right? This uniform comes from the Salvation Army. But when you hear people like Tiger Woods, you know when he was in his prime, he was head to toe in Nike. He did. He wore Nike footwear. Uh, even the, the golf ball he would use was a Nike precision accuracy ball. In other words, anywhere Tiger Woods went at the time, Nike went with him. Anywhere we go, we, when, when we claim that we are Christian, we better have own Christ. Because you don't go anywhere and tell people, I've got on Adidas, when you really have on something else. I don't even know, Champion. Which, by the way, Champion, you, made, you were made fun of when I was a kid, if you wore Champion. Now it's like the greatest of the great. So when we read clothe in these verses, God chose you to be a holy people whom He loves. You must clothe yourselves. It really means to put on. That's what we do with clothing. We put it on, right? God bless all the grandmas and great-grandmas that lied to us and said, you better put on a long sleeve, you will catch a cold. You don't catch a cold that way. But we sure put on our long johns and made sure we weren't going to catch cold. We put clothes on. Paul here says we are to put on Christ. In fact, he is the main garment in which we wear, that we wear. Just like you put on a shirt or you put on clothes this morning, Paul tells us to put Christ on, that our spiritual body needs to have Christ on. I think uh, my wife put this in the... Uh, in the message, as she, she often does. And, and it says, So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength. That's what patience is, long-suffering, discipline. Now, what are the things that we used to wear? Well, we used to wear anger, wrath, malice, Slander, abusive speech, lying. So what he's saying here is that we have now this 
spiritual power to where we don't have to wear those old brands anymore. In fact, he even says you're not to wear those. You're different. You've got a new body. And that body, uh, that, that body has to have on the ultimate, which is love. We are not to wear the wardrobe of the sinful nature because now God gives to you. And look at what it says, that we don't have to go look for these things. Uh, it says that, that God, God in verse 12, those who have been chosen of God, that he gives us these clothes to wear. He puts on us gentleness. We can't do this in and of ourselves. Even when we're at our best behavior, it's easy for the anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the abusive speech, the lying. Even when we're trying to do all this on, its own, on our own, we realize we're never going to put on Christ without Christ. Right? We are not to wear the wardrobe of the sinful nature because God gives to us garments that reflect the image of Christ. You know... Um, Fads come and go. That's, that's what they do, right? Now, I've seen some people on TV who are really trying to bring back mullets, and I just don't think that's going to happen. It's just like windbreakers. You know, they were popular for their time. But uh, I just don't see them coming back. But, you know, in God's economy, Colossians 3, 12, and 14 are not fads. They are to be long-lasting garments. You know, Paul didn't just want the church of Colossae to reflect Christ. He wanted all the churches he wrote, he, he wrote to to reflect Christ. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Again, if you're listening to this saying, you know what, I've been wearing anger and malice and slander so long, I just don't see myself in a new wardrobe. Well, here's the good thing. All of this is done by God. Being clothed with Christ means we have compassion where we used to just be angry with everybody. Uh, I think, I think uh, it was, the, who was the guy from uh, Gunsmoke? who told somebody, you know what, your mouth is so sour you could ruin a peach orchard. Uh, what's his name? Festus. You know, that's pretty bad. When your attitude is so sour, you could kill a peach orchard. But many times we are like that. We, we allow the seeds of bitterness to grow. And yet the Bible reminds us that God can do a transformation in us to where that doesn't happen. God wants to transform. God wants to give you a new wardrobe. Because things like compassion and kindness and gentleness. What, what does this sound like, by the way? It sounds like something else Paul wrote to the church at Galatians called the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, some people translate the fruit of the Spirit, because notice in the Bible it doesn't say the fruits. It says the fruit. Many people believe that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And because you have the love of God, then you're able to be gentle 
and kind and patient. Maybe you've never thought about it like that. Maybe you're thinking, that's because, Major, you're wrong. But I believe it's true. What, is, what does he say here? The greatest thing that you could ever, and, above, and beyond all these things, put on love. Notice how that echoes 1 Corinthians 13. Doesn't matter what else you're able to do. If you don't have love, it doesn't matter. The real garment of Christ is one word, love. God is love. So when we put on this new clothing, we are able then to bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have. You know why? Because with the old clothing, you didn't forgive because you had slander, you had anger, you had wrath, you had malice. That's not forgiving. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, if you, this is strong language when you think about it. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Friends, we are very powerful and we don't even realize it. We have the power to keep God from forgiving us if we choose not to forgive our brothers and sisters. And one of the greatest stories that I've ever read about forgiveness comes from a very little bitty old lady. Her name was Corey Ten Boom. Now some of you have heard that name, some of you haven't. But Corey Ten Boom lived during World War II. And her family secretly housed Jews for safety. This was illegal, okay? And unfortunately, their illegal activity was discovered and Corey and her sister Betsy were actually, because they housed Jews, because of this, they were sent to the German death camp called Ravensbrück. Corey Tim Boom survived. Her sister did not. And years later, God transformed her heart she was a Christian. She's written one, and I, don't, I can't remember the name of it. Unfortunately, that's my fault. But it's one of the most famous Christian books of all time. The Hiding Place. Thank you. The Hiding Place. But this is what she wrote. She said, in 1947, I'd come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter bombed out land and I gave them my favorite mental picture maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown uh, when we confess our sins I said Corey Timboom says God cast them into the deepest ocean gone forever the solemn faces stared back at me not quite daring to believe and that she says that's when I saw him Working his way forward against the others, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hair, the next a blue uniform and a cap with skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribbed sharp beneath parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. That place was Ravensbrook, and the man who was making his way forward in this meeting had been a guard, one of the cruelest guards we ever had. 
Now this man, Corey Tim Boom says, now he's in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, he says. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. She goes on to say, and I who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He does not remember me. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. He goes on, the man said to her, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. He does not remember me, she says. Then he said this to her, But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. And then he said this, But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? She says, And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Corey Tim Boom goes on to say, Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. Because, as she goes on to say, I had to do it. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. We just read it in Matthew 6. That we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. In closing, she says, but forgiveness is not an emotion either. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. She silently prayed, Jesus, help me, which, by the way, is probably the most theological prayer you'll ever pray. I can lift my hand. She continued to pray, you simply give me the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, she says, I thrust my hand out into the one stretched out to me, but she said this, as I did that, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, she said, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even then, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. That's from her book, Tramp for the Lord. Friends, what we're discussing is not natural. Some people have actually said that the Sermon on the Mount should be called doing what comes unnaturally. 
But here's the other side to that. That as we stay in Christ, the unnatural becomes natural. What is holiness? I'm a simple guy from Mississippi, and I'm going to give you my definition of holiness. Holiness is when your first intention is to do good. That's what it is. It's when your first thought is how can I help? How can I love? Not how can I hurt? Not how can I get one over on this guy? Holiness is simply when your first intention is to do right. And how is that possible? Because God has transformed your heart. What does God say to Ezekiel? He told, through, through the prophet Ezekiel, he told Israel, I will take your wooden, not your wooden, your stony heart, and I will give you a heart of flesh. You see, we love to think that life would be so much easier if we had a stony heart. You know why? Because then we wouldn't feel. We wouldn't feel when people hurt us. We wouldn't feel when people betray us. None of your enemies will ever betray you. You ever thought about that? That's a sick irony, isn't it? Your enemy doesn't betray you. The people you love the most will betray you. They will hurt you. And as much as we say to God, you know, I, I don't need to feel. I'm tired of being hurt. It's the same heart that helps us to love that also makes us hurt. What's the famous line from the tin man? He says, now I know I have a heart because it's breaking. You see, Corey Tim Boom went through probably one of the most horrible things that could ever go through, you could go through because it was at the hands of someone else. They starved to death. Literally starved to death. I know we love to say, man, I'm starving. I don't think anybody in this room has ever starved. And I'm not calling you fat. But none of us have been through what some of these people go th have been through, especially in those concentration camps. Never, Most of us will never say, I had to watch my sister starve to death in a concentration camp. And yet supernaturally, God infused in her His love to forgive someone else. Out of all of these things that we talk about, kindness, because some days it's easy to be kind. Some days, yes, we're, we can be humble and not tell anybody how humble we really were. There's days we can be gentle, but I'm going to tell you, it's hard to forgive. And I think that's why God, Jesus said, if you can forgive other people, I will forgive you. Because He understands forgiveness does not say to that other person, it's okay what you did. That's not what forgiveness is. More than anything, forgiveness is healing yourself. It's saying, I'm going to move forward and I'm not going to let this past hurt or this broken heart stop me from moving into the place where God wants me to be. Forgiveness does more for the one who accepts the forgiveness than the one asking for it. There's a supernatural healing that only happens when you've been hurt and you say, I truly, and you mean it, I truly forgive. Now, does that mean that, well, you, that means you got to forget? No, that's a dumb person that forgets. That's like somebody that's been snake bit and still goes up to the snake and 
Oh, you won't do that again. Yeah, they will. That's what they do. It's in their nature. Some people will hurt you because they can hurt you. And you have to be wise enough to say, you know what, I went through that. It was hard, but I'm going to forgive them. I'm not going to forget. I'm going to remember what I've been through, and I'm going to use that to to be better, not bitter, to be better and to help other people who go through the same thing. And the only way that we can truly forgive, the only way we can be gentle, and and I'm just going to be honest, the hardest people that I'm gentle, the hardest people to do all this with is my family. And I love them. And it's not them. It's me. I have a coffee mug that has grumpy on it. And my wife says, buddy, if that ain't for you, I don't know what is. And I say, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm a melancholy kind of person. And they put up with me. They will get to heaven before I will, just on account of living with me. But what what gives us this ability when we see people and they're so gentle and they're so kind and we look at them and say, man, I wish I could be like you. They would say, it's not me. They would say, "The, the Lord is doing a work in me. You know that he's doing a work in you. Colossians 3.14, how how can we get to this point? It all sounds like unicorns and rainbows, doesn't it? How am I ever going to be this nice of a person? The most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. There's not a one of us, I think, in this room that's not wearing clothing that isn't stitched. Okay? Love is the stitch in the clothing. Love is what keeps it all together. Love is what keeps that gentleness from becoming wrath. Love is what keeps kindness from becoming anger. Right? It's what holds, it's what holds it all together. I can even see uh, the stitches in my clothing. It's, it's holding it all together. God's love is what holds All of this together. So you don't have to say, you know what, God, I can never be like that. God laughs and says, you're right. I know you. You can't be like that. But I can be like that in you. Where there is compassion, there's love. When you see kindness, you see love. When you see humility, you see love. When you see gentleness, man, if there's one thing we need to be is gentle with one another. When you see patience, you see love. And of course, when you see forgiveness, you see love because you know God forgave you. I think it was C.S. Lewis that says, you must forgive the unexcusable in other people's lives because God forgave the inexcusable in your life. We're not saying that what they they did was not wrong. Absolutely. All of us in here have scars. What is a scar? It's a stitch that holds things together, right? And when we look at that scar, we say, oh yeah, I remember. I have one right here. I cut myself. Cut myself cutting an apple when I was a kid. Knife filled with blood, I just put it back in a drawer and thought, my parents don't need to see that. Well, they had to take me to the hospital and get it stitched up. Every time I look at that scar, I remember. But you know what? I also think, I won't do that again. 
God sometimes allows scars because you know what scars do? They heal. Now, we don't forget, but they heal. And that part of your body becomes stronger. It's bound together. When we're hurt, when we look at people and go, you know, I can't believe what you did or, what, or maybe what you didn't do. God's love is what binds us. God's love is what keeps us from losing it. It's the love of God. When we lack compassion towards our neighbor, when we lack gentleness, when we, it's not that you're not saved. It's just that you're, you're not, you're, you haven't put on the full, the full wardrobe yet. There's a song in our songbook, we're not going to sing it, but it says, I want, dear Lord, a love that cares for all, a deep, strong love that answers every call, a love like thine, a love divine, a love to come or go on me, dear Lord, a love like this bestow. Put on, to put on those who have been chosen of God. See, God chose you. I know we love to say, and you can argue with me after the sermon, but we love to say, I accepted Christ. No, he accepted you. Jesus even said, you didn't choose me. I, choose, I chose you to bear much fruit. What does Paul say here? Those who have been chosen of God. But you say, but I accepted Christ. Yes. But he chose me. Yes. It's okay. It can be both. That's that prevenient grace that we, we theologians like to talk about where you accepted Christ because his spirit was drawing you in. And how was his spirit drawing you in? Because you knew that he loved you. Because his, his love finally just got you to where you said, I, I just, I got to accept him. He wooed you. You know, when my wife and I were dating, I went and bought me some really expensive cologne. And it was, it was Giorgio Armani. That stuff ain't cheap. I bought me a chap shirt. I about spent half my paycheck. And, she, and I, you know, I went down to see her and I had my cologne on. You probably could have smelled me two miles away. I was looking good. And she said, you know, you, why'd you dress like that? And I was like, well, I mean, it's the first time I got to come see you. She said, you know, I buy all my clothes from the sales rack. And I was like, hmm. So I guess I don't have to wear all of this. She's like, you don't have to. I mean, you look nice, but you don't have to. Friends, we don't have to do this ourselves. We can't. But He does it in us. Little by little, year after year, crisis after crisis, mountaintop after mountaintop, valley after valley, He helps us put on Christ. Maybe today... You need to forgive yourself because that's the hardest person to forgive. Maybe today you need to remind yourself not to get so angry, not to use abusive speech, not to slander one another. The Bible tells us to build each other up. Don't lie to one another. All these things that we know we shouldn't do, but you know what we say? It's, it's our nature, Right? But God gives us a new nature. We're not the scorpion telling the frog, oh yeah, you can ride on my back. 
you'll be okay. You know that story? And he's like, okay, that's great. And then he gets on him and he stings him. And the frog said, what'd you do that for? And what's the scorpion say? It's in my nature. That's what I do. So we should live lives when people see us being gentle, when other people are angry, when we, they see us with compassion and not abusive speech and wrath, they say, well, how are you able to do that? You can smile and say, it's, it's my nature. Because my nature has been changed. We're going to sing together a cor- another chorus that's in your songbook. I believe it's song 385. I still... Um, I still deal with the idea that we have new songbooks, and I don't like them because I've finally reached the age where they're just some songs. No, that's not 385. Uh, I'm sorry. It's to be like Jesus is what we're going to sing, and that is um, 328. And as a friend of mine would say, don't sing this if you don't really mean it. Because it's a hard song when you think about it. Do you want to be like Jesus? As I told my Sunday school teacher, Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was hurt by the people. You know, his own family members. It's in the Bible. His own family, his own siblings thought he was insane. They really did. They were ashamed. They, in other words, it's like if, you, if someone saw you and said, don't come to the family function. You're an embarrassment to us. He went through that. The Bible even says he was a man of sorrows. But to the people who needed him the most, boy, he was gentle. He had compassion. He didn't have any real abusive speech. He had no malice, no slander, no wrath. In fact, the wrath that God had, he gave it to Jesus on the cross. So I would invite you to sing this chorus or even to come and pray. Maybe there's something the Holy Spirit brought to mind in this message that you say, you know, I need to give this to God because now I'm stuck and I can't move any further. I can't be like Jesus and hold on to the things that I'm holding on to. We've all been there. We're all human. We go, we go through stuff, don't we? And sometimes we need to be reminded that God is, God is the one that helps us become like him and he does that when we surrender and we say you know i just can't do this anymore and that's when we realize that's when god says now i can do it now you've given me the opportunity to do what you've never been able to do let's sing this chorus together chorus 328